His name was Jehoshaphat. What a name. He was the king of Judah, and he always felt that he could put Judah and Israel together, a political solution. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hember. And I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV, going through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation every year. I love this. It's going to be an interesting study as we focus on this. So this is going to be good. Corey and Ryan are here. Corey, what's up? I'm going to be taking a look at an ancient cultural element that we see popping up in the Bible over and over and over again. Specifically, we're going to be taking a look at the morning rituals and practices of ancient Israel. Ryan? What does it mean to be a friend of God? Well, this very important question is something that we're going to try and answer on today's program. All right, look forward to that. And also, Janice, what are we doing? Well, a different segment again today. We welcome our good friend Jim Cantillon, and you won't want to miss hearing what he has to say to us today. All right, let's open up the Bible and let's look at what God is saying to us. Second Chronicles 18, verses 1 through 16. Jehoshaphat had riches and honor in abundance, and by marriage he allied himself with Ahab. After some years, he went down to visit Ahab in Samaria, and Ahab killed sheep and oxen in abundance for him and the people who were with him, and persuaded him to go up with him to Ramoth-Gilead. So Ahab, king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Will you go with me against Ramoth-Gilead? And he answered him, I am as you are, and my people as your people. We will be with you in the war. Also Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Please inquire for the word of the Lord today. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, four hundred men, and said to them, Shall we go to war against Ramoth-Gilead, or shall I refrain? So they said, Go up, for God will deliver it into the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is still one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him, because he never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. He is Micaiah, the son of Imlah. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say such things. Then the king of Israel called one of his officers and said, Bring Micaiah, the son of Imlah, quickly. The king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, clothed in their robes, sat each on his throne, and they sat at a threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria, and all the prophets prophesied before them. Now Zedekiah, the son of Canaanah, had made horns of iron for himself, and he said, Thus says the Lord, With these you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so, saying, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the king's hand. Then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Now listen, the words of the prophets with one accord encourage the king. Therefore, please, let your word be like the word of one of them and speak encouragement. And Micaiah said, 
as the Lord lives, whatever my God says, that I will speak. Then he came to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? And he said, Go, and prosper, and they shall be delivered into your hand. So the king said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Then he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. 2 Chronicles chapter 18, verses 1 through 16. Second Chronicles 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19 is what we read today. When we preach and teach God's word, it is critical that we make every effort to speak the truth. Not our ideas or opinions. God's communication of truth is very different. The better we understand the Bible, the more we love the truth. We learn to digest what God is saying to us so that we can know him better and become what the Lord has destined us to be. There is no advance in our character or personality without spiritual development or spiritual growth in our heart, mind, soul, and body. Now, Jehoshaphat, the seventh king of Judah, tried to bind back Israel and Judah. Ahab was the king of Israel, and he was not a good king. He was as mature as a child, and he married the queen Jezebel. But Jehoshaphat desired to reunite the two kingdoms together anyway. The problem was that this was entirely a political move. You see, you can't build unity through politics. When the people have only known idolatry and practice false worship their whole lives. Despite his best intentions... It was a false unity. You need religious and moral unity, a heart for the one true God to truly bind people back together. You know, that is so true. And that's true throughout time. It's true even today. And today, as we focus on tell the truth, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of the Lord, we ask that you would help us to read your word and understand what it says. Because we don't want, Lord, to be uh, reading into it, take our ideas and try to prove our ideas with the Bible. That's not what we want to do. We want to learn from you, and we want to learn from the Word of God. So those who are willing and who desire this prayer and pray with me this today, Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us the truth of what you're saying in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, let's focus on the scripture and let's go look at Second Chronicles 18. Verses 1 to 3. Here's what we do it. Jehoshaphat had riches and honor in abundance, and by marriage he allied himself with Ahab. After some years, he went down to visit Ahab in Samaria. And Ahab killed sheep and oxen in abundance for him and the people who were with him, and persuaded him to go up with him to Ramoth-Gilead. So Ahab, the king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Will you go with me against Ramoth-Gilead? 
And he answered him. Now, this is very important. Just pay attention here and listen. I am as you are and my people as your people. We will be with you in the war. Oh, that's not, that's not right. That's not good, Jehoshaphat. You see, Jehoshaphat agreed to go with Ahab because of his own personal growth to bring the nation together. Hmm. His own personal goal to bring the nations together. Beloved, our personal goals must be synchronized with God's goals. Our personal goals must be synchronized with the goals of God from the Bible. Now, we may have goals. You know, my goal is to make this much money or get this kind of car, but is that in the Bible? Search your heart, pray about it, search the Bible, understand what God says to you. You need to justify everything you do and how you pursue it with the word of God. That's how Christians live, according to his words, because if you love him, you'll obey his commandments. Very important. Let's go on. Verses 4 to 11. Also Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, please inquire for the word of the Lord, capital L-O-R-D today. And then king of Israel gathered the prophets together, 400 men, that's a lot of men, and said to them, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall we refrain? So they said, well, go up, for God will deliver it to the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat said, is there not still a prophet of the Lord, capital L-O-R-D here, that we may inquire of him? So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, well, there is still one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he always or he never prophesies anything good concerning me, but always evil. He is Micaiah, the son of Imlah. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say such things. And then the king of Israel called to one of his officers and said, bring Micaiah, the son of Imlah, quickly. The king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, clothed in their robes, sat each on his throne, and they sat at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gates of Samaria. And all the prophets prophesied before them. Now Zedekiah, the son of Chaniah, or Chaneha, had made horns or strength of iron for himself and said, Thus says the Lord, with these you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied, saying, Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will deliver that, deliver it into your hands. Now, Ahab was told a lie by many of the prophets. They, they were lying. There are those who say they have the word of the Lord for us. But do they? The Bible is always our checkpoint. The word of God. Somebody says to me, I got a word of the Lord for you. And I say, okay. And they tell me and I say, okay, well, let me look in the Bible. Let me check it out. I don't know if it's a word of the Lord unless it's from the Bible. Just because somebody says they have a word of the Lord. That doesn't mean they have it. Beloved, we need to pay attention to what people say to us, but most importantly, to what God says to us. Very important to listen to the Lord. All right, let's go back to the scripture because this gets interesting. Now then, chapter 12 or chapter 18, verse 12 to 16. Then the messenger who had gone to get Micaiah spoke to him saying, now listen, the words of the prophets with one accord encourage the king. 
Therefore, please let your word be like the word of those or word of one of them and speak encouragement. And Micah said, or Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, whatever my God says, that I will speak. And then he came to the king and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? And he said, go and prosper. They shall be delivered into your hand. So the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you tell nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And then he said to him, I saw Israel scattered on the mountains as a sheep. They have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each one return to his house in peace. Wow, man, that's intense. You see, Micaiah told Ahab that Israel should not fight. They would lose. True prophets of God may not be great and successful, but they always tell the truth. True prophets of God may not be great and successful and popular in TV land, but they always tell the truth. Beloved, God always speaks the truth according to his word. Be careful who you listen to because the prophets are not all from the Lord. Hi, Rod Hember here. We go through the Bible every year from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Now you can join us and watch at the time you like by searching Bible Discovery TV on the Roku box or on Amazon Fire TV. Anytime you want to watch us, we're there. Get a hold of it. Watch us anytime you want to. Well, it's time to carry on with our Bible study, and I call this episode today, My Friend, My Beloved. And did you know that Abraham is called the friend of God no less than three times in the Bible? Actually, one of these times is in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 7, which is a part of our reading tomorrow. Likewise, the Apostle John is referred to as the disciple whom Jesus loved, and tradition says that he was known as the beloved disciple. Well, what does it mean to be a friend of God or to be beloved of him? Well, let's explore that. Abraham has many titles in scripture, but perhaps the most notable and significant is friend of God, a title by which he's called no less than three times in the Bible. These include 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 7, Isaiah chapter 41, verse 8, and in the New Testament, James chapter 2, verse 23. It is interesting then that Hebron, which is one of the main places Abraham lived and where he was buried, is a Hebrew name which means friend. In fact, even when the Arabs later took it over, they renamed it to its Arabic name, El Halil, meaning the friend. According to the scriptures, being a friend of God is no small thing. In fact, part of the close friendship relationship is disclosure of the future. This can be seen in Genesis chapter 18, where God and two angels pay Abraham a visit. Privately, God asks the angels a rhetorical question. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm doing? The obvious answer was no. Another instance where God disclosed the future to Abraham is through the offering up of Isaac in Genesis chapter 22. Indeed, some have supposed that Abraham wanted to know how it was that God would bless all the families of the earth through his seed, 
as promised in Genesis chapter 12. Thus, it is conjectured that our Lord designed a way to teach him through an experience what he had already communicated to him in words. He was given a prefiguration or a type of the sacrifice that the last in the line of the seed, that is Christ, would accomplish. At the very least, Abraham knew he was acting out a prophecy because he named that place Jehovah-Jireh, meaning in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. This concept of disclosure being linked to friendship with God is also consistent into the New Testament. Jesus declares to his disciples in John chapter 15 verse 15, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my father I have made known to you. One step beyond being a friend of God is to be beloved of God, and there are only two people in the entire Bible who are given such a title. The first is the Old Testament prophet Daniel, who is called beloved three times in his book. And the second is the New Testament disciple John the Apostle, who is famously known as the beloved disciple. It is of no insignificance or coincidence, then, that Daniel and John are the two greatest sources of prophetic revelation in the Bible, Daniel with his book and John with Revelation. Because of their faithfulness and obedience, God disclosed revelation to them, not given to any others. Thus we observe not only a consistency between the Old and New Testaments, but also, and more importantly, within the nature of God. You know, what excites me the most about this is that you and I, as followers of Jesus Christ, are also considered to be friends of God. And if you doubt that, then I want to remind you that he's also disclosed the future to you and me. He's done it through his word, the Bible. And if you're truly a believer and take his word seriously, then you understand that God has graciously laid out his plans for the future in the Bible. You know, I wonder what would happen if people truly understood that the Bible is the very word of God and actually revealed to us his plans for the future. I suspect that this least read bestseller would quickly become the most read bestseller. In fact, I do think you're right, Ryan. That would be interesting to have the most read. Okay, Corey, what's going on? All right, so I want to draw our attention to 2 Chronicles chapter 16, just the last few verses, because these verses contain really interesting historical information pertaining to the funeral of the funerals of the kings of Judah and Jerusalem. Nowhere else in the Bible does it talk about what happened during the burial of a king. So we see in King Asa's case, the the Israelites building a big fire, the Judahites, I should say, building a big fire in honor of the king while his body rests on a separate bier surrounded by spices and various mixed perfumes. Now, this is a really interesting glimpse into their culture, and this would have been on top of their regular uh, mourning rituals. So let's take a look at what those would have been to accompany Asa's funeral. The Bible is very consistent in its portrayal of ancient Israelite mourning. People grieving the loss of loved ones, tragedy in the community, offenses against God, devastating warfare and the like are described as putting on sackcloth, tearing their clothes, taking off shoes, sitting on dust and ashes, putting dust and ashes on their heads, cutting or shaving their hair, and fasting. These actions could be done all together, individually, or in any combination, and likely went along with wailing and appropriate grieving songs and laments. 
There has been quite a bit of research that has gone on in trying to understand the significance of these mourning rituals, and even in attempting to track where they came from. It's been noted that all these practices involve humiliation of the mourners and in some way connect them to their own mortality, in a sense, becoming like the dead themselves, naked, returning to dust, not eating, and generally losing the physical markers of living people, like growing hair. As it is often said, there's no better time than a funeral to contemplate one's own mortality. In this sense, these mourning rituals would be grieving the specific loss of a loved one's life while broadly bemoaning the overall human condition of mortality before God. There has also been a noted progression of practice when it comes to sackcloth. In the early passages of the Bible, clothes are torn and removed, and then sackcloth is worn. In later tradition, sackcloth is worn in addition to torn garments. Sackcloth was a rough garment in the style of a loincloth. This dress, paired with going barefoot, has been seen as an association with the dead by some, as noted above, and by others, it's seen as removing a layer of civilization, as going back to how life would be without all of the systems that man has in place. In this case, it would be a way of remembering who we are, and that in the end, we're still mortal, even in the midst of our societal greatness. As Adam and Eve had to leave the garden just clothed and without shoes, so humanity is. Death is a great equalizer. There are also a few theories about putting dust and ashes on one's head during mourning. An older theory cites an ancient practice of burial in which a mound of dirt was put over the grave. This theory posits that mourners carried baskets of dirt to the gravesite on their heads to build the mound, leaving them with dirty hair and clothing, a sign to all that they had been involved in a funeral. This practice could then have been remembered by the act of putting dust and ashes on the head. Another theory comes from archaeologists excavating Beersheba. They discovered that the dirt of the city's streets was mixed with ashes. This process recycled household ash and had the benefit of increased durability. So when mourners are described as sitting on dust and ashes, these archaeologists put forward that they were sitting on public streets, conducting their mourning for all to see. So understanding different cultural elements of, you know, ancient Israel and ancient Judah really help us to understand the history that's being told to us in the Bible. And so understanding these mourning rituals, you're going to come across them continuously as you read through not only the history, but also the poetry and and the prophets and well into the New Testament. So this just gives us a good head start to understanding the scripture. And it really is important. Understanding the scripture is, of course, understanding the relationship with God and then, of course, our relationship with each other. You know, we watch the news. We see what's happening. And we have somebody here, Jim Canelon, who is the head or the president of WOW Ministries, working for orphans and widows. And, Jim, this is important because we've been keeping an eye on the Ukraine and all of that business. You're involved now helping in the Ukraine. So tell us what's going on. Well, as we speak, we're taping this in March. Mm-hmm. So it's been about three and a half weeks since the war began. As, as viewers are watching us now, it's another few weeks. So I can't report on what's going on in, 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 a, in a sense of being current. But what I can say is this. As soon as those refugees started flooding towards the Polish border, the Western Ukrainian churches and the Eastern Polish churches kicked into gear. Without anybody asking them to, 
They opened their basements. They opened their sanctuaries. They made their churches into refugee centers. They made their sanctuaries into distribution centers for food, medicine, and so on. They gave these people shelter, and they're continuing to do so to this day. Uh, as we speak in March, <clears throat> about a million and a half children as a part of that massive three and a half to four million or, uh, uh, refugees. Significant percentage of those children are orphans. <clears throat> Not only had they been orphans for some time, but some of them were orphaned just recently because they've lost their fathers already, and some of them don't know it. So we've been, uh, let me show you a pic here. This, this was taken just before we taped this show, and it was sent to me about an hour before we went to, uh, uh, to camera. Um, it's the, is it the pick of the, the orphans? The pick of the orphans, yeah, if the okay. director can find it. Yeah, there it is. And uh, as I was told, you know, an hour or so before we went to tape, uh, half of these kids were bussed into Poland and half of them were to follow. And I think they're all there now, but you can be sure they've been replaced by many, many more. But these are little Ukrainian orphans. Um, and they don't have, you know, the, the, the typical look of uh, African or Indian orphans because they're coming out of a really a first world country. But the fact is that they are without hope other than uh, the Church of Jesus Christ doing its work. And so through a relationship I have there with a pastor who's been overseeing this network of churches for a number of years, I'm able, you know, with um, a lot of trust to forward funding uh, to the work they're doing, fully accountable. I'll get reports for the CRA and the, uh, the, the um, IRS. Uh, but the point is that it's, it's a delivery mechanism that's tailor-made for people like us who work with orphans and widows. And I think that's important to remember because, uh, you know, people can support you or when they support us, we give our, a tithe to mm -hmm. you and uh, we have for several years. And so this is important because it's the doing part. It's the yeah. justice part. Yeah. And we're not just focused on the righteousness part, but we focus on the righteousness. But, you know, we're not a fundraising organization, but we, we are also focused on the doing. Declaring the word of God. You do it. So do I with my program, Jim Canlon Today. Declaring the word of God is great, but it's one dimensional. Mm -hmm. You also have to Do demonstrate it. the word of God. And that's where the three dimensional focus comes in. Love for God, love for neighbor, loving him with all our heart, soul, mind and strength consistently. Yeah. And so if you want to be a part of this and help us with uh, helping the others, then please go to world or wowmission.com, wowmission.com and make your gift there. Thank you for joining us today. Good to have you with us as we continue in God's Word. Join us on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 3.30 to 4.30. We're on Facebook and YouTube, Bible Discovery TV, and we'll pray for you live, 3.30 to 4.30, New York time or Eastern Standard Time. Today, let's pray. Father, I pray in Jesus' name, help me to stay reading. Help me to stay digesting your wonderful Word. In Jesus' name. Amen.